Hello everyone, and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. An episode-by-episode podcast guide through the classic Transformers G1 cartoon series. I am Jeremy Graves, and today, as per usual, on each, and on each and every episode, I should say, I am, of course, joined by my good friend, my partner in crime through this whimsical journey, through all sorts of stories that we have encountered thus far, that being Mr. Andy Hanley. Good sir, how the heck are you doing today? Yeah, I'm I'm doing very well. We're we're, we're at a landmark point in in covering this series, which feels uh, we were discussing this before we came on and started this recording. It feels really weird that we're here already. Yeah, we might as well just cut straight to it, folks. Like, today we are covering episodes forty-seven to forty-nine of season two, but what that actually means is we're at the finale of season two, which, like you said, it is. It is really weird knowing that, and I guess before we get too deep into discussing that, a quick bit of housekeeping, as it were. If you're joining us on in an audio-only format, be it through the likes of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, thank you very much for checking us out. Alternatively, if you're checking out our video version of the podcast on our YouTube channel, just search for Starscream's Ghost Podcast on YouTube, you should find us just fine. Thank you very much for checking us out there as well. If you feel so inclined and you enjoy listening to the podcast, make sure you tell a friend about it, or if you would like to, you can leave us a rating on your desired platform of choice as well. And mentioning YouTube there, we've just mentioned the episodes we'll be watching. The episodes that we watch each and every week on the podcast are dictated by the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. That is a 100% legitimate way to watch all the episodes of the Transformers. Now, as far as we're, we're aware, Andy, this is the broadcast order, but in sort of the odd occasion here and there, there may be some discrepancy on that. But on the whole, we have been going through the broadcast order. But if there's one thing we can say for sure, Andy, is episode 49 is genuinely the last episode of season two. Yeah, and what what a final scene in a final episode to see us out of this season. It kind of, it was a really good encapsulation of everything that season two has given us in that like, yeah, there's some, some interesting ideas and stuff, some goofiness, something mildly offensive, you know, just all of the, the season two classic tenets, all, all in a single scene. So, uh, yeah, what a what an ending. What a finale. Yeah, and to actually mention the episode titles themselves, everyone. Episode 47 is Revenge of Bruticus. 48 is Aerial Assault. And 49 is B.O.T. Or Bot, for short. And like you say, that closing scene, which we'll, we'll get on to in due course in this podcast today, there is a lot that goes on there, which I didn't feel comfortable about. I'm just calling it like it is. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there are things across at least a couple of these three episodes that are pretty discomforting. Um, some of which are very much like, oh, it's a different time. Some of which is just like, no, even in the 80s, this was kind of racist and terrible. Um, so, yeah, there, there's there's a lot there. But, hey, Revenge of Bruticus, that had a lot going on, but in a far better way. So, you know, it wasn't all it wasn't all objectionable. Exactly, and I, I think you've just given, the, in a way, the, the unintentional perfect segue, as it were there, so let's get straight on to it. It's time to talk about Season 2, Episode 47, Revenge of Bruticus. And Andy, for the first time, because I, I've not had a chance to do this from the way that we've been recording all the episodes before, but I kind of now get to say a uh, previously on Transformers. <laughs> because funnily enough, they didn't do that at the start of this episode, did they? <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those 
it's one of those things where it sort of feels like because you know this is for syndication and they know it's going to get repeated probably out of order they've taken the call of like well this is enough of a standalone episode that you can kind of start where this starts and, and go with it. It's like, I, I forget the names of the episodes for our other, like, stealth two-parter we had in season two, where it's just like, oh, it was, um, like, the gambler or whatever it was. Um, yeah, where, what was that? Yeah, it was a child's play in the gambler, wasn't it? That's one, yeah. Where it's like, you know, it, it's it's kind of a weird starting point of, like, why are they in space? Whereas this is also, like, why are they in space? Um, <laughs> <laughs> just on a rock this time. But actually, like, once you get beyond that and, you know, Starscream having a bit of a whine, it's like, yeah, this this episode just works on its own and it can, you know, do its own thing and, and it's just absolutely fine to watch. Exactly, and, and to, to sort of just to, to set the scene, just so we're all on an even playing field here, and if, I will say, if you want to hear our thoughts on the previous episode, Starscream's Brigade, in full, check out our last podcast, podcast number 17, because we go very deep into that episode. But the crux of it, Starscream is exiled from the Decepticons for still being a troll and outright attacking Megatron. In spite of all that, he creates his own new Decepticon army called the Combaticons, who we later find out are a combiner team that become Bruticus. Ultimately, Starscream fumbles it all up again, and he and the Combaticons are banished from Earth forever. And the episode ends with them literally drifting on a rock through space. And that is where the episode begins. And in fact, the episode itself begins with the, the vocal dulcet tones of Starscream, simply shouting the following... I can't stand it! I can't stand it! This is a cosmic prison! And you can obviously gather at this point, he's losing his mind. Quite literally. He's just sitting, looking very despondent on a rock. And this is all because he has been banished, knowing he's probably never going to return. Then Brawl, the Stuntacon tank, just tells him to shut up, blames him for the predicament they're in, and just fires a rocket at him, Andy. <laughs> All of which are, are, are absolutely accurate responses to the situation at hand. <laughs> like, I feel like Brawl has, has summed up the situation quite well there. It is Starscream's fault that they're there, and he does deserve to have rockets fired at him. Starscream then transforms into his jet form, but Onslaught says that he knows Starscream doesn't have enough power to get back to Earth, so why the heck's he done that? And besides, this army has a mission, Brawl says. We then see Starscream effectively try to bomb the Stunticons. So despite the fact he made them in the last episode, he's already trying to off them, Andy. He's really not doing that well mentally here. Yeah, yeah. Which again is, is hilarious because that all kind of circles back around later in this episode where he's just like, no, you know, they're, they're my creations. And it's like, you, you, need to, you need to make your mind up and choose pick a side here, Starscream. <laughs> One thing I did like, though, is amongst all of this dialogue that Starscream has while he's trying to bomb them... He says that he says something to the effect of that. Well, he tries to mock them because they have like old military strategies because they're old military vehicles from a war, and it's kind of like I like the way you've kind of carried that over very subtly. It does, it's not really brought up that much, but it was just a nice little bit of continuity that I liked. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if that's more based on their old vehicle modes or just the fact that they were, like, prisoners on Cybertron for seemingly a very long time. Because I, I can't remember whether it gets name-checked how long their, like, memory chips were imprisoned by Megatron, but the intimations seem to be that that was a, a significant period of time. So I Yeah, guess I think that's mentioned more. later in this episode, actually. Yeah, so I, I guess that that's probably the, the angle. But either way, yeah, it's kind of it's an interesting little bit of, of kind of... Uh, 
texture to those characters of just like yeah you know they've, they've not been not been around for quite a long time mm. so is starscream now having flown into space pretty much just going anywhere is better being st- than being stuck with you lot brawl then says that they need to add starscream to their revenge roster quote unquote this is then followed up by swindle saying that's after megatron cybertron and the planet earth yeah, so a pretty, a pretty, a pretty small list of of beef that the combaticons <laughs> have got there. Only two entire planets, like a malevolent leader and Starscream. You know, apart from that, everyone else is fine. This is when we see the asteroid that they're stranded on is actually being towed by Blastoff, the bomber plane combaticon, and they are bound for Cybertron, and they're getting a lot closer to it. Brawl then instructs his colleague to his colleagues to prepare for planetary liberation quote-unquote on cybertron we see shockwave running a test of response times for a platoon of his sentinel robots using holograms that are being projected into the sky when he suddenly picks up blast off dragging the asteroid on his sensors the asteroid quote-unquote docks on cybertron meaning it landed into a giant hole on cybertron i'm calling it like it is andy And after Shockwave demands that they identify themselves, because it actually makes total sense, he has no idea who they are, because they were just made on Earth, and at this point, why would Shockwave know who on Earth they are? Or who on Cybertron they are, quite frankly. They make it known that they are the Combaticons, but they are also known as Bruticus, transforming into their combiner form. Bruticus, though, isn't fooling around today. And as soon as the Sentinels start to attack them, they, Bruticus, I mean, immediately grabs Shockwave, knowing that if Shockwave dies, the troops will stop. Shockwave then says he needs to protect Cybertron, changes into his laser hand cannon form, and just shoots Bruticus point blank in the face, downing him. That said, this only makes Bruticus more angry, who promptly destroys a whole bunch of Sentinels, grabs Shockwave, who's still in his laser cannon form for some reason, puts him into one of his anti-air turrets on his back from from Brawl's anti-air missile form, and just shoots Shockwave into space, Andy! (laughs) Just outright just shoots him into space, and they just go, our objective is complete, our Operation Revenge has begun. Yeah, it's... (laughs) Both weird and kind of awesome the way that whole scene like pans out because yeah just I mean I love the fact that he just like grabs Shockwave in his gun form and just like fires him off at a bunch of Sentinels it's like that's really cool and then I thought he was just gonna like holster Shockwave and just be like now nah, you're just my gun now that's and exactly like, what I thought and there's like oh okay it it feels sort of weird animation wise way he gets fired into space but also just like yeah that's a pretty. I mean, Shockwave has a bad day in this episode, it has to be said. And this is kind of the start of it. Um, And uh, yeah, like, he gets fired into space, which, as it turns out, is infinitely small (laughs) in this episode. Or it could just be that Bruticus's turret is very, very powerful. I don't know. There's me trying to add a little bit of decency back to Bruticus, because, man, is he owned by the end of this. And the subsequent episodes we're talking about today. Now, on Earth... Because we didn't already have enough characters in play in this two-part story, Andy, the Insecticons appear out of flipping nowhere. 
As, as as per usual, I got very excited. At, like, yeah, it's Insecticons again. Like, every time you think you're not going to see him again, here, here, here they are. For probably for, actually, the last time properly, uh, barring a little bit of a cameo in the movie. They are eating buildings in a city. And it seems that Megatron has done a deal with them, again, where a whole bunch of the Insecticon clones are gathering energy, and that's being converted into Energon cubes. Kind of like we saw in, in the episode The Insecticon Syndrome, if memory serves, Andy. Sort of a similar plan to that, which, look how well that went, just saying. Yeah, this is one of those... Uh, at times I've, like, questioned, why doesn't Megatron just use a plan that almost worked last time and just, like, tweak it a bit? This feels like the opposite of, like, no, that plan just didn't work at all. Like, the Insecticons went off in a half and then a whole bunch of other bad stuff happened. Maybe maybe don't go back to that one on your drawing board. The cubes that have been created so far are then taken to the space bridge by Thundercracker and Dirge. While that's happening, we see the Optimus Prime blue streak tracks and I think Sideswipe Andy, it was actually a bit difficult for me to tell, admittedly, in hindsight, they arrive and begin attacking the Insecticons. Unfortunately for them, Megatron got briefly involved, and the Insecticons are now spreading to another neighbourhood, and the Autobots' priority is on that scenario. This is when Prime says, quote-unquote, Attention Protectorbots, evacuation assistance needed now. And we see a police car, a bike with, I want to call it out, Andy, on the side of the bike. It had the word police, but it was spelt P-O-L-I-S-E. Just calling it out like I saw it. There was an ambulance and there was a truck as well from a garage. And then a helicopter randomly joins them in from the sky a short time later. Time out, Andy. Time out. Protector bots? Where the heck have they come from? Yeah, I mean, re remember those kind of deep and quite significant origin stories we got for the Stunticons and the Aerial Bots and the Combaticons? None of that for these guys. <laughs> Just, here, here you go. I don't know. We've got this other set of toys we need to sell. We've not written a story for them. I, I feel like somebody... This feels like one of those things where like they had the meeting about all the, the new characters they had to introduce. Like, right, 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 cool. And somebody just forgot to like write these down in the notes. And then somebody came back and said, so when are you, uh, when are you introducing the Protector Bots? When's their story? And someone's like, we, we forgot about the Protector Bots. What, what are we going <laughs> to do? And it's oh, just just put them in an episode. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And, and here we are. Because, yeah, no origin story. No how did they get their personalities no how did they get their vehicle modes no trip to cybertron to get you know what did vector sigma do this who knows who cares here you go buy the toys kids and, and i did so i guess it worked it was like the most one of the most shoehorned ways to introduce a transformer we've seen in quite a while yeah yeah it's it is and it is so weird because of all the other special teams getting like proper episodes of their own whereas this you know it's literally in an episode called revenge of bruticus like <laughs> it's not you know it's not like victory of um defense or it's like no it's not not even about you guys you just happen to be here so and the reason i wanted to bring this up is because You've already just said you had all of the protector bots, and I'm not sure if they were actually ever used in the comics or not, because I've, I've not I've not been that deep into the lore, as it were. From your recollection, what is kind of the background of the protector bots, if you had to try and sum it up in a sort of succinct way? Um, yeah, well, I mean, in the comics and stuff, you know, all of the special teams kind of, like, 
got created at the same time for their own sort of nefarious ends. I, I can't remember the specifics of them, but I think they, they were basically introduced because they, they sort of did it in the comics, I seem to recall, pretty much, you know, it was a sort of a matchup of, you know, like the whole Stanticons versus Aerial Bots things were the same of like the two teams, the, the two sides trying to kind of make up for their own deficiencies. And then I think it was just like the Combaticons versus the Protector Bots of like, well, they've got their army people. We need some people to mop up after them, basically. Um, and I, I don't remember all the kind of ins and outs, but they were all very much just introduced at the same time and, you know, given the same given the same amount of care and attention, which is not what's happened here. Yeah, because part of it th th that's really weird from my point of view is they've also got, like, their own base, seemingly, just in a city, which in itself isn't the worst idea, given that we saw Spark Plug's ridiculous garage in New York City, and we don't know what city we're in here in this episode. So on the on a baseline level, that makes sense if you, you're kind of deploying another team in another city to keep an eye on things, or in a region. But they're just there. There's no background. And also, what about Inferno? He got the short end of the stick on this. Yeah, yeah, sorry, we've got another fire truck now, and this one's light blue, so, you know, tough, <laughs> tough, tough luck. I mean, I, my, my headcanon now is just that Sparkplug has, like, a, a whole, like, plethora of garages across the country um, that he sort of lets the Autobots hang out in, and that's that's why he's wearing, like, dapper suits now, because he's just got this multi-million pound, multi-million dollar garage business that runs right across state-to-state -state America. <laughs> I want to see this now. I need, yeah. I need like, and, a side and, story. And, and perhaps given some of the, the characters we see in the next episode after this, perhaps beyond America, because we'll get onto that, but there's a dude that looks a lot like Sparkplug. Yeah, let's come back to that, I think. It's probably <laughs> worth mentioning. So, while the Protector Bots have randomly been introduced, back at Autobot HQ, Spike and Perceptor are standing by Teletran, with Spike receiving a lesson, as I've described it, Andy, about the vastness of the universe. <laughs> Yeah, which I would like to think that this is actually a joke about this episode. Because as I've mentioned, like, about the, the infinite tininess of space in this episode, where it's like, oh, Cybertron's so far away, and then 20 seconds later, like, oh, look, there's Cybertron. And, you know, <laughs> we're about to have two characters that have supposedly, you know, set off in different parts of space, literally collide. And I'd like to think this is the writers having a bit of a joke of, like, yeah, space... Let's talk about how infinite it is. Also, how weird that all of these things are happening in this very specific kind of small space where everybody can smash into everybody else. Um, so I really hope this was just like a little comedy aside of like, yeah, we know this episode is, is kind of dumbly written in places. But space is really big, by the way. I feel another thing to point out, Andy, is it gets to the point when talking about the vastness of the universe where Perceptor changes into his microscope mode, and Spike looks through the top of the microscope to see even more of the vastness of space through a TV screen. Yeah, I mean... I, <laughs> hey, look, we, we, had, we had a creature, like, travel through Teletrans screen to other locations, so, you know, there, there's, there's some magic going on there, I guess. <laughs> At this point, Spike sees a shooting star, which Perceptor quickly tells him it's, it's just a meteorite entering Earth's atmosphere. Spike adding that he'd hate to imagine a real shooting star coming towards the Earth, which, I won't lie, Andy, I immediately thought, that's going to be the storyline of the episode, isn't it? 
Boy, yeah, was I, I wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was I was just waiting for the like, oh, what, you mean like this one? But but no, at least it didn't go, it didn't go there. There was part of me who was wondering, is it going to be Shockwave? Genuinely, <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> Speaking of Shockwave, we then see him appear going across the screen, still in laser cannon mode, and... Just flying by the viewfinder. I'm not going to dwell on that. Let's let's move on. We'll be here all day otherwise. But we cut to space proper. And as you alluded to, Andy, Starscream literally bumps into Shockwave while flying. Shockwave implores Starscream for some help, saying that Cybertron has been invaded. And Starscream's not shocked about that. He's shocked by going, wait, I'm this close to Cybertron? <laughs> And then at that point, we see Shockwave literally jump on Starscream and he gets taken for a ride back to Cybertron. Yeah, which again, I mean, given that we were told that Starscream didn't have enough energy to get back to Cybertron, again, questions, especially carrying an extra passenger, but apparently that's fine. <laughs> Let, let's not dwell on this too much, otherwise... <laughs> <laughs> We'll add that to the continuity bucket. There you go, that's a new one. On Cybertron, the Combaticons are in Shockwave's lab and discover that Decepticon technology has advanced considerably since they were in prison. Because as noted in Starscream's Brigade, they were each political prisoners with their personalities separated from their bodies. Onslaught's plan is to direct the movement of the Earth to send it into the sun by tinkering with the tech from the space bridge entrance in Shockwave's lab. Yep. I mean, I... Quite an elaborate plan, it's got to be said. Yeah, I mean, I, I quite like it as a plan of, like, hey, like, reverse space bridge technology. But, man, did this episode escalate quickly. Like, there, there's so much that's going on in this episode. Like, you know, you've got the whole Bridgecus taking on Cybertron. Then you've got the Insecticons to deal with. And suddenly, like, oh, and by the way, we're also launching the Earth into the sun. And it's just like... I don't know if I can focus on all of these things at once. Like this is this is this is a lot for grown up me, let alone like the kid me who I don't think ever watched this episode. Um, but yeah, like a, a lot going on and a lot of it escalating incredibly quickly. Back on Earth, the protector bots has have successfully evacuated humans from the city they are in, and just as they're about to continue battling the Insecticon clones, Spike and Perceptor arrive to inform Prime that Teletran has picked up energy disruptions caused by signals from Cybertron, with the Earth's orbit having been altered. Prime then immediately heads to the space bridge, but Megatron and Shrapnel of the Insecticons are already there. And after being told to stop him by Megatron, Shrapnel just rips off part of the control panel and goes underground with it. And Prime's chance to use the space bridge is gone. At this moment, Andy, I've got to say, there was part of me that's thinking, this could have been a three-parter. Because if you think of the amount of story I just burned through re reciting that paragraph I wrote down, that's a heck of a lot of story right there. Yeah, I mean, that's the crazy thing. I mean, I, I realize the, the Insecticon plotline feels a little bit recycled, as we've mentioned. But yeah, like, I mean, even just the... Bruticus taking on over Cybertron and the whole like launching Earth into the sun like that feels like two episodes on its own you know never mind all the other incidental stuff also Protector Bot's origin episode you know like there's three different <laughs> kind of things that could be their own episodes here and it's like and we're, we're not even like at the midpoint <laughs> it was like oh my god like this is this is a lot 
back on Cybertron, Onslaught is very happy announcing his success to the Combaticon comrades when a giant creature appears in the sky. And I should clarify, the success being that his plan is working, just to say. A firefight then breaks out with them attacking these creatures in the sky, but the Combaticons are having zero luck hitting them. This is because it turns out they are Shockwave's holograms, based on that thing I mentioned earlier, which was a pretty big side note, to say the least. Except it turns out Shockwave Andy has got really good holographic technology because they can attack other things, but you can't attack them. Yeah, if, if, if you had used holograms to fool somebody on your Transformers bingo card. <laughs> We've not used that one in a little while, but uh, but but here we here we are. I do I do like a good hologram. Now, Starscream is with him, and we get some back and forth between the two over who is the Guardian of Cybertron, as well as feelings on Megatron, leading to Shockwave demonstrating how he can change the appearance of the holograms by literally the click of a button, and of all the things he could select, Andy, of all the creatures in the known universe, he goes with gargoyles. Yeah, I have... (laughs) questions about that like a i mean shockwave has not been on earth at any point so how the heck does he know what a gargoyle is let alone how to program it into his holographic system i i have a conspiracy theory here that which also kind of runs into something one of the later episodes that i feel like there aren't any shots in this where we get to see like the the quote-unquote gargoyles and the transformers in a single shot and my conspiracy theory is that the gargoyles were animated for a different show and maybe either not used or used but were kicking about in an animation bank somewhere. And when they said, oh, we need to animate some more hologram stuff, it's like, oh, why don't we use those gargoyle cells that we have kicking around out the back there? Because it makes no sense otherwise. Like, why, why gargoyles? I don't think they ever show up alongside Transformers on screen at the same time. So that is my conspiracy theory, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> this is when we find out later when we go to the TF Wiki notes that they're just, like, also appearing in a G.I. Joe episode or something. Yeah, because, to be quite yeah. frank, it wouldn't surprise me if it was in G.I. Joe. <laughs> yeah, or one of, like, any any number of other cartoons that, that Toei would have worked on in this period. So I'm, I'm absolutely convinced it's just, like, some banked animation that they've just, like, nah, this will do gargoyles. There you go. Now, we haven't actually talked about why they're using holograms and stuff and why they've selected gargoyles. The plan that they have is to basically run down the energy of the Combaticons from having to take on so many foes. Now, at this point, Andy, my brain thought back to the previous episode where we had established by the end that four of the Combaticons had the energy absorption technology installed at this point and one of them didn't. But then there was part of me that's thinking, you're on Cybertron, you can just recharge, surely. It's just one of you that can't at this point. But that's never mentioned, so I'm just going to put that back into like the ether. I'm going to shoot it into space like Shockwave was. Yeah, and I, I suppose, I mean, we have also had plot lines about Cybertron being direly low on energy itself. So yeah. I guess there is an argument to be made that like, there's probably not much much energy to be had. But I, I do like how their plan is basically the equivalent of using those like automated tennis, tennis machines that fires balls at you. And it's just like, well, if he just keeps hitting the tennis balls back, he'll, he'll get worn out eventually. And it's like, <laughs> cool, great, great plan, oh, logical shockwave. <laughs> 
During all of this commotion, Shockwave and Starscream discover that the space bridge controls in Shockwave's lab have been altered. Shockwave is concerned for Megatron. Starscream, obviously, at this point, could, could really just care less. Starscream then attacks Shockwave, preventing him from stopping the device. Or, in no uncertain terms, Andy, not preventing Earth from being destroyed. Just calling it yeah. like it is. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. And again, this this really does lean into my Shockwave's bad day, like moniker <laughs> for this series. Because Shockwave, you know, he's just like, cool, I've got Starscream to like help me out with this. And next thing, like, blats, just like shot in the back. But also, I, I, I think it's underselling it to say that Starscream couldn't really care less about what's happening to Earth because his line when like Shockwave says like yeah it looks like they're launching Earth into the sun he's like terrific like <laughs> I'm I'm here for this let's <laughs> let's let that continue like he's he's very much bought into this part of the plan maybe he's just like drunk on having flown through so much space not knowing where the heck he is or something yeah well I mean you know he's 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 all for like Megatron being fired into the sun. Like if if, if the collateral damage is an entire planet and all of his other buddies, then eh, I guess that I guess that's fine. It's peak Starscream. <laughs> On Earth, Megatron is taking great pleasure laughing at the Autobots' failed attempts to find the missing piece of the control panel of the space bridge that Shrapnel had taken in a few scenes earlier. Leading to a random scenario, Andy, where a Transformer picks up something on a scanner, digs down to find it, and it's a broken TV. <laughs> I didn't know what to think at that point. At this point, though, Megatron receives a transmission, and we hear from we hear Starscream say, Come in, Megabum. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, again, peak Starscream, really. <laughs> I mean, it's the great... I, I, I do feel like this, this series relishes so much any opportunity where it can use the word bum. And it does it It does it a few times over the course of it, but it always, always with such relish of like, yeah, we can get away with this one. We can say bum on kids' TV. This is great. <laughs> Megatron obviously is less than pleased to hear from him, and Starscream demands that he be acknowledged as leader of the Decepticons or he'll let the Earth fall into the sun. Megatron calls his bluff, and Starscream just says, go check a thermometer. <laughs> because they're getting closer to the sun. What a comeback line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, so, so many global warming jokes could be made of the, the scenes to follow. Um, but uh, but yeah, just like, go, go check a thermometer is, is a pretty, pretty good comeback to, to that whole thing. <laughs> As the conversation concludes, the Combaticons on Cybertron discover the enemies in the sky were holograms and are able to deactivate them. Back on Earth, uh, by the way, this is going to go back and forth a lot, people. I'm just forewarning you. So if I sound like I'm jumping around everywhere, this is literally what the episode was doing. On Earth, we see Megatron approach the space bridge, and after analysing what is missing from the controls, he instructs Ramjet and Dirge, of the Seeker Jets, to find the Insecticons and get the missing piece of the control panel back. Back on Cybertron, we see Starscream being too caught up in his plan, which gives Shockwave a chance to attack him. Shockwave makes it clear he only works for Megatron, which prompts Starscream to fire at him, knocking him down once again. <laughs> again Shockwave's bad Shockwave's day continues. <laughs> the Combaticons then enter, demanding a ceasefire, and put them both in the brig. Back on Earth, 
we're now seeing the effects of be of the Earth being closer to the sun, with water evaporating, bushfires bushfires starting, all that jazz and whatnot. Not the Autobot, just in general. The Protector bots and other Autobots are on hand to try and assist at multiple locations. In an underground parking garage, because we haven't been in one of those in a while, Andy, we see the Insecticons appear, having basically lost the Autobots. They managed to escape from them. But Megatron then arrives just as the Autobots arrive at the same location, because they've been tracking them, to retrieve the control panel, but sees it's been chewed up a bit by the Insecticons. The Insecticons leave, and Perceptor analyzes it, and upon closer inspection, decides he can fix it, but needs specific components to be able to do so. Prime says he will donate some of the parts if Megatron agrees to do the same, and Megatron's response to this is by saying, quote-unquote, NEVER! I AM AUTONOMIC PERFECTION! <laughs> and after Spike implores him to donate, we then see Perceptor start stripping the two, the two Decepticon commanders, the two transforming commanders, as it were, of the parts that are needed. Now, while this is about to happen, yes, everyone, this keeps going, we see the, the Protector bots each starting to struggle to maintain what is happening to the planet because of the soaring temperatures. And it's getting to the point that the temperature is rising so, so fast, excuse me, that we see a bunch of people run into an industrial fridge, like you'd find in a restaurant or something, and one of the Protector bots basically going, oh, they can cool off for a bit. Won't be that way for long, though. Yeah, and until the ice runs out, I believe is the phrase. Which I mean, I, I both like that and found it really funny that it's just like their solution is like, well, let's just pack all the humans in a freezer and <laughs> we'll see, we'll see how this shakes out. <laughs> it's like you know, you can't really fault the the, the thought process there, but uh, you know, a, a little a little bit of a kind of dire straits going on. I agree, and in a weird way as well, but especially from the point of view that this is introducing the protector bots. They've kind of gone from randomly having turned up looking awesome now to really struggling. Understandably why, but talk about a lot that can happen in like 10-15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And and again, I mean this this whole setup, like, you know, you think back to like the ultimate doom where we had a good like full episode of Earth in Crisis, you know, global catastrophe to to enjoy and luxuriate in whereas this is kind of this isn't even like plot point number one in a lot of ways for this particular episode and so it's like trying to juggle this and everything else going on is like oh okay well this this is important but also all this other stuff is going on at the space bridge the control panel is now restored and a temporary truce is agreed between the Autobots and Decepticons to sort the situation out, with both sides travelling via the space bridge to Cybertron. Upon arrival, they find Starscream and Shockwave, with Starscream saying the following. Help! Save me! It was the Combaticons! They locked us in here! They forced me to threaten you, Megatron! Believe me! And Shockwave immediately responding with, He's lying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like Shockwave just telling tales after school, just like, no, no, miss, miss, he didn't say that, <laughs> he, was, he was playing it all along. Megatron then adds to the conversation, quote-unquote, all is not forgiven, Starscream. You are free at my command, but only to deactivate what device is moving the Earth into the sun. Starscream responds with, 
Only if you relinquish leadership of the Decepticons. At which point, I'm literally thinking, Starscream, mate, like, just take a hint. <laughs> Megatron says, don't be a fool. And then Starscream just shouts, then let the Earth burn! <laughs> yeah, which is my favourite line of this episode. Um, if, 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 if we were going to like make a gif of anything which, which was subtitled, it would be Starscream just saying, let the Earth burn. <laughs> At this point, inside the lab, uh, in, inside, I can't remember exactly where they are at this point, but they're in, like, Shockwave's lab area. The Combaticon brawl arrives and promptly stops the conversation between the two just by firing at them. <laughs> just This is Brawl's gimmick, and I like it, quite frankly. He calls the firefight with it being the Autobots, Decepticons, and Shockwave's Sentinels at this point versus the Combaticons. Unfortunately for the Combaticons, after some miscommunication and, quite frankly, Megatron just literally taking three of them out at once with his arm cannon. Boy, did they look weak with that, Andy. They end up becoming Bruticus as a last-ditch effort. At this point, though, Prime discovers that the space bridge has been altered thanks to Bruticus ripping apart part of the, the wall where the device was being housed. He basically revealed why this is all happening. Starscream says that Bruticus can be stopped because he's clearly had a change of heart and is then promptly threatened at gunpoint, at basically just Megatron holding a gun up to his face saying, what is it? How? And he says that he actually built a fail safe into Bruticus thinking that one day Bruticus might turn on him. I mean, when, when would you ever predict that a Decepticon might turn on his fellow Decepticons? Why, why would you think that, Starscream? How cynical of you. Starscream reveals that there are three spots on the back of Bruticus. Hit them, and he is deactivated. At this point, Bruticus grabs Megatron, saying, quote-unquote, You banished me. I do not like being banished. <laughs> Great line. He then adds... We were imprisoned here on Cybertron for millions of years, and now I will have my revenge. Just as he's about to end Megatron, Prime shoots the three spots on his back, Bruticus falls down, allowing Sideswipe to head inside to Shockwave's lab area and deactivate the console. This being after he tries to activate it, and a screen prompt says, Change of direction? As they're about to hit the sun. And you just start shouting, yes, 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 <laughs> while hitting loads of buttons. So this, this is where you get one of those prompts, like, are you sure? Like, do you definitely want to change direction? <laughs> like, yes. You on. can't undo this once you've hit yes. Yeah, this is your final chance. <laughs> With the Earth now saved, Prime then speaks to Megatron, saying that, quote unquote, Bruticus is a hazard to the galaxy, yours and ours. Megatron agrees saying right to Starscream's face that that Starscream must destroy him. Sorry, that they must destroy him, excuse me, the Decepticons. We then see the two Seeker Jets lift Bruticus up in the air, and with Prime standing next to Megatron, Megatron just kills Bruticus! Just one shot and explodes just from a shot from his arm cannon. With the deed done, the Autobots reluctantly trust Megatron, and use the space bridge to go back to Earth. At this point, Andy, I am thinking, you've just introduced Bruticus. Are you actually effing kidding me? <laughs> like, what the actual heck? 
Yeah, well, and, and also, once again, Optimus Prime, Mr. Freedom is the right of all sentient beings. It's like, yeah, kill that guy. Don't, not, not, not interested. Like, I mean, again, the, these guys were imprisoned for a long time. Like, could you not just put them back in, like, brain jail again? Like, could you do I mean, Starscream with... blew it up, though, didn't they? So. Well, yeah, I'm sure they could build another brain jail or, you know, just, like, remove their, like, brain modules. But it's like, now just murder, murder him. This is, murder is the only option. And it's like, Optimus Prime, like, this is, like, three times this season where you've just been like, yeah, just kill it. It's fine. The Morphobots, Kremzeek, and now Bruticus. We're yeah. calling you out, Prime. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's shocking. It, it's amazing that as kids watching this like cartoon had any morals whatsoever, because it's just like, as soon, as soon as the going gets tough, it's just like, nah, just murder is the only other option. <laughs> but then, outside, we hear Megatron say that Starscream has redeemed himself, and Bruticus is ours. This is because the Bruticus that Megatron destroyed... Turns out, if you were looking carefully, because boy, do they try not to acknowledge this really clearly, Andy. It turns out that Bru the Bruticus that was destroyed was a hologram. Which in itself seems to be a bit of a continuity flaw, because the Combaticons couldn't hit any holograms earlier. Yeah, may may maybe there's a button that you could push to make them hittable. I mean, I've got, I have got I like this because I bought into it as a fake out as well, of like, oh god, they've actually killed Bruticus. Mm. And then I was like, I'm sure... I'm sure he turns up in season three somewhere. Maybe they haven't, and then like they do the reveal. But like they they sell it really well of, of being like, oh oh wow, they've actually done it. They've actually just off this new character, um, and it all kind of felt like it made sense apart from Optimus Prime, you know, being a murderer again. Um, but but <laughs> but you know, they actually they actually sold me on it, and it's like especially kids cartoons are normally pretty bad at doing that stuff because they feel like they always have to clear you in on like wink to the kids like not really we're not going to kill this one still buy the toys and like you know it's only for like 20 seconds or say so before they reveal it but it's a good 20 seconds of like oh man they actually followed through on this there's part of me as well that also maybe wonders if like inside the hasbro hq when like someone's having to like proof this episode and they're going, You're destroying our new toys! What are you doing? And yeah, they, then yeah, someone just like, goes, watch wait. Yeah, watch a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> that, or, or, also hoping like, see, now the kids will go home, they'll destroy their own Bruticuses, and then they'll need to buy another one to have the replacement. All <laughs> the kids will need two Bruticuses. That's what we're doing here. You can bet someone did that. I mean probably. <laughs> Megatron then adds as well that Starscream can return to Earth as his subordinate. Starscream then says, Thank you, Megatron. <laughs> <laughs> and then Megatron adds, Once we finished repairing, uh, reprogramming, excuse me, Bruticus to only obey me, he will be unstoppable. And the episode ends with Megatron laughing maniacally. This was quite an episode, Andy. Uh, in terms of it being part two of a stealth two-parter, like I said, this feels like this probably could have, this probably could have been done with being a three-parter because this was breakneck speed. There, there was something just not elaborated. I didn't. I don't even know the Protector Bot names. That that was going to be my quiz question to you because I I wasn't sure. 
I, I didn't recall them being actually name checked in this episode, and yeah, I thought like if if anybody will have paid attention to that, it's you. So yeah, if they if you don't have it, then yeah, like I, I I knew the names of the protector bots, so I was fine. But yeah, it's crazy they don't even have like a thirty seconds again. Think back to the stunticons and things where they got their introduction of like you know I'm Wild Rider, you know I'm Motormaster. Twice they got introduced to them twice. Yeah, they got it twice, <laughs> and I mean these guys, yeah, just just nothing. I mean they don't. I don't think they even like maybe they say their names to one another like once or twice but I don't think they all get I don't think they all get name checked even then it's kind of bizarre really as as introductions go because even in those early episodes in season two where they were just throwing characters at you it felt like they'd at least try to go out of their way to be like oh hello sea spray or something like that so that you knew but these guys it's just like nope nope nothing yeah, I mean, honestly, I still can't tell you their names because by the end of these three episodes, they're not actually named. Only one <laughs> of them is named, and it's their combined form. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's, yeah, because you you don't even really get a lot of, of defense or either. Like you know, again, they're a combiner team, but you, they don't really sell you on that very much. Because I'm I'm trying to remember all of them now. Because like Hotspot is the fire truck, Groove is the bike. Uh, is it just first aid is the ambulance? I'm gonna have a look look this up. Blades is the helicopter. Uh, Streetwise is the police car, and yeah, first aid is the ambulance. Thank you. So there, there, there are your protectable <laughs> names. Uh, maybe they'll turn up in season three. I don't know. <laughs> Find out soon, I guess. So from there, let's. Well, I suppose to, to sort of finish off my thoughts, as it were. This was a this episode has some really good ideas in it. There were some great moments, but in a weird way, given how much of a great episode Starscream's Brigade was and how just well laid out that plot was written out and how it came to be as we were watching it, Andy, this did feel like a bit of a letdown as a part two, I've got to say. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually, I, I ended up really enjoying it, but it is... It does bite off more than it can chew. Like, it, it has so many plot lines that should be, you know, individual episodes, you know, even stuff like the Insecticons being around. It feels like there was almost another episode in there that just sort of got sidelined at some point. And there's just... This is probably, like, the densest episode we've had in terms of just number of plot points going on. And split, you know, across two planets as well. Um, you know, it's just... It's a lot to keep track of. And, it, like, you know, it, it really shows us when you're kind of going through this, like, scene by scene. And you're just constantly flipping back from one location to the other. Because there's just all this stuff going on. Yeah, I, I kind of wish it was a at least a couple of episodes but i know i i enjoyed this as just a jam-packed like crazy roller coaster of you know disasters and stuff going on um and partly i think because bruticus is still kind of and the combaticons are still kind of interesting as characters like that side of the story works pretty well watching starscream being duplicitous is always a good time <laughs> um i mean again this is another episode where the Autobots do some stuff, but it sort of feels like you could have actually gotten away with not having any Autobots involved in this for the most part. Beyond the like, well, maybe we shouldn't blow up Earth, actually. That's probably sort of their only real contribution. Uh, but no, I, I like this episode, but it is like ridiculously densely packed for like 20 minutes of a cartoon. So from there, everyone, it's now time to visit the TF Wiki to see if there are some interesting continuity or trivia notes relating to this episode. Uh, 
First of all, Andy, as we've been talking about, this is the Protector Bot's first appearance in the series, yet there is absolutely no mention of where they came from. While this does, while this does put them in the company of most of the rest of the new Season 2 cast, it's the first time a combiner team wasn't given a special origin episode, as you were mentioning, Andy. The reason for this as noted in the show's production bible, was that the information on the team was not delivered to the cartoon's production staff before the episode plots for the rest of the series had been finalised. Consequently, there were no open slots left to give the Protector Bots an episode dedicated to their origin, but they were inserted into some of the predetermined stories, namely this and the episode B.O.T., to appease Hasbro. So I was pretty much on the money that somebody screwed up in a meeting. It was just it was Hasbro and not uh, and not uh, Toei or Sunbow. Mm. So there, there you go. So, so somebody probably got in trouble for that. Of just like, <laughs> wait, what do you mean you've not told them like anything about the protector bots? Like they they are important toys. So, so in, also additional note: uh, apparently, only first aid is actually identified by name. Okay, yeah, I, I figured I'd, I'd heard at least one name like thrown out there, but still crazy that they couldn't find a bit more time to name check them. Hmm. I guess the reason that probably didn't land with me, the name is one, I didn't know it, and two, I just assumed they meant, oh, give some humans first aid. That makes sense. It, yeah, <laughs> as, as, trans as Transformers names go, like it's pretty generic, um, even by uh, even by kind of Transformers standards. This episode marks the second and last appearance of Sentinel Robots, uh, and the last and the last appearance of Autobot Security Director Red Alert, apparently as well. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he doesn't really get to appear a lot beyond his own episode where he was very tired. To date, this episode features the only instance of Shockwave's alt mode being used by another character as an actual gun. Unlike Megatron, who is frequently used in his gun form by other Transformers by shrinking down, Shockwave has never demonstrated this ability, leaving his alternate mode too large to be used by most Cybertronians. But Bruticus, being larger than, than the typical Cybertronian, has no issue using Shockwave as a firearm. So fair point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 one of the enjoyable bits of continuity that they thought of that, and it's it was a lot of fun seeing Shockwave get fired against as well. And a final random note for you, Andy. In a cut line from the episode, Starscream would have called Shockwave a lousy space leech when they collided into each other in space. I mean, to be fair, in an episode where he gets to use the phrase "mega bum," like anything else, <laughs> should have been shelved anyway. They they probably just felt like they'd peaked there, and it's like, now nah, let's cut that one. <laughs> so from there everyone I think it's time we advance to our next episode It's time to talk about Season 2 episode 48 Aerial Assault We begin this episode Andy With a very odd few minutes To say the least Because in an unnamed country I'm assuming somewhere in the Middle East I don't know I mean what, what, what makes you think it's in the Middle East Jeremy? <laughs> Is it the cornucopia of really cliched Middle Eastern things that happen throughout this episode? I, I just saw a desert, Andy. That's all I thought. <laughs> we we see a bazaar, as I'm going to try and very uh, generalise, like generalise name it, as it were, with people seemingly stripping cars for parts, with it being heavily implied that there is a black market ring of some kind going on there. 
As well, there is a young man slash teenager who we later learn is named Hassan, causing problems for the locals trying to steal parts. We then see the aerial bots fly overhead, and based on dialogue, we hear that planes have been mysteriously going missing in this region, and they're trying to ascertain why. This is when they pick up a distress signal nearby, and a few of the aerial bots go to assist. It turns out to be an ambush, with the Combaticons and Seeker Jets attacking them. We get a good dogfight between the two sides, Slingshot specifically being caught in a cave in the process, with the entrance to it being covered in rubble. After an assist from other Autobots, the Decepticons retreat. We then see Prime and Silverbolt using Skydive as a prop to keep the cave entrance open, which was quite yeah. a weird thing in itself. That, that, that was also, it, it was it was set up really well of just like, oh, this presents a unique engineering challenge, I think was the phrase <laughs> that they use. And then, and then their solution to this engineering challenge is like, hey, you can hold up the rock fall while we pull Slingshot out, and then we'll just drop you and let all the rocks fall on you. It's <laughs> like, thanks, guys. Hoist is able to get him out of the cave, and they manage to get Slingshot back to a nearby hangar where Ratchet is able to fix him up barring his weapons, which will involve additional parts needed from HQ. Skydive makes a comment about planes from this base being missing too, and suggests that he tries to get himself stolen to figure out who is behind it. Slingshot also gets involved, given that he ain't exactly going anywhere in a hurry, given what he's just been through. This is a weird start to this episode, Andy. I mean, like you said, we're talking about the Middle East and things, there are some very, what you would call stereotypical things for this period when this episode aired that are being said from the way people are speaking and stuff, which I'm doing my best to not acknowledge, quite frankly, because it's... Yeah, enough said. But it's just... There was something about this episode when it started. I'm just like, where's this going? Because at the moment, I'm not that interested. Yeah, it, it feels like an episode that... I don't think it ever quite kind of reaches anything fully formed. Like, this feels like somebody had a bunch of potentially interesting notes for a thing we could do with an episode, but never really manages to join the dots on them all in a way that's particularly like, oh, okay, that's quite clever or that's quite interesting. Like, for me, I mean, this early kind of, this initial sort of dogfight is sort of, an illustration of the good part of this episode because actually the action scenes in this episode are all pretty good they're all actually pretty well choreographed they're kind of interesting they're fun to watch they're quite dynamic um and you know that stuff actually works pretty well so it's sort of a shame that all the connective tissue around it is is not great um and yeah like that is just compounded by the the Middle Eastern locale and all of the cliches and stereotypes that, that go with it that, that led to me writing like my first actually my well my first note on this episode is quote unquote who will buy my rugs um, which is like <laughs> talking about those stereotypes and cliches there you go um, that's probably one of the the, 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 the milder ones um, and then my, my second note is oh no what's up with this episode all in capitals <laughs> um, because we're also introduced to a character who seems to be Middle Eastern spark plug. Like, he basically he basically looks exactly like him, only he's not. Um, I'm pretty sure voiced by the same actor as well. And it's like, <laughs> did you just, again, t having talked about the whole gargoyle thing and how they reused animation, I feel like they, their character designer was just, like, burnt out or on holiday. Like, having, having had to, like 
create all these new Transformers for season two. It's just like, I'm not doing any new characters now. I'm done. I'm on holiday. If you need me, I'm just, I'm on the moon. Please leave me alone. <laughs> and they're like, but we need, we need these like Middle Eastern car, carjacking guys. Like just reuse some of the other characters. I don't know. Change their skin tone a bit. It's like, fine. We'll just use spike and spark plug and now they're mechanics in the Middle East. And it's like, oh, okay, well, that's weird. Yeah, the way I would sum this up based on these opening few minutes is I immediately thought, if there was ever a definition of a filler episode, this is it so far. Yeah, yeah, it, it does feel like it, it doesn't really. And again, this because I think in terms of like the actual sort of production order, this comes after Vector Sigma. Like this is kind of like the first sort of proper aerial bot episode after all of that stuff, uh, which kind of makes it feel even weirder because, you know, you look at some of the other cool stuff that you get from the aerial bots and this feels like, oh, you just, this feels like we need to do something with planes. And it's like, cool, uh, here, here are some ideas of a thing you could do with planes and it never really reaches far beyond that. God, imagine going from Vector Sigma to this. What the heck? Yeah, um, in a way, in a way, this is like a gentler way of leading us into this episode than than that, where you've got a really good two parter and then just weirdness. <laughs> we then cut to nighttime, where we see the aerial bots and other planes in a hangar being stripped for parts by what I've written down, Andy, because I couldn't think of anything else better as the plane nappers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, to be fair, I can't think of any better names for them either, so sure, plain nap as it is. Unfortunately, because they're being stripped and disassembled while being undercover in their plane modes, the aerial bots in their skydiving slingshot, excuse me, they are unable to contact anyone else for help. After being transferred into a laundry van, sentences I didn't think I'd be saying, uh, the various boxes are unloaded, but the nappers say that some parts are too complex for car parts, so they load the boxes into the back back into the, the back of the van. Yes, this sounds as weird as it sounds, everybody. I'm just saying that now. <laughs> what the heck? My notes here, Andy. The head napper <laughs> makes the comment about the Border Patrol guards hopefully having as little interest in laundry as they did about the about the airbase. This episode, man. So remember that young lad that I said we later learn is named Hassan? Well, he's watching on all of this happening and offers to help them and is promptly just thrown out of the way. Just tossed away literally like some rubbish. But that only makes him more curious as he rightly assumes it must be really important and interesting if they don't want me near it. Because he's intelligent, Andy, it turns out. Now it's morning, and we see a bunch of cars worthy of being in an, in an episode of MTV's Pimp My Ride. There's a reference I didn't think I'd be making on this podcast, everyone, but I have. Along with the aforementioned laundry vans being ready to roll out. With a Combaticon onslaught leading the way. See, see I, 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 my, my brain went to wacky races when I saw some of these cars. <laughs> that's just a, like, that's I, far better. Yeah, I was just like, have they stolen some of these designs from Wacky Races? I don't know. Like, I feel, I feel like you could quite happily see, like, I, I can't remember any of the Wacky Races characters' name. Peter Perfect. There you go. There's one. Dick Darcy. Uh, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's the, he's the obvious one. But like, it P- feels Penelope, like, yeah, Penelope could, Pitstop. 
Penelope pit stop is is one, and then that's the, that's where I the really ant hill mob. Yeah, there you go, there you go. I'm really clutching at straws now. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then then it then it gets then it gets difficult. Was was Captain Caveman in that at some point? Yes, I feel like there was. Yeah, there yeah, because there was like a boulder car. I seem to recall. Yeah, yeah, there, there we go. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> but it was a bit like that. <laughs> this tells you everybody where we're at with this episode, quite literally. Yeah. And I, the I, fact is... the, the fact I went to pimp my ride and you went to rack wacky races <laughs> shows you where we're at at this point. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my, my brain was legitimately, like, drifting off into this exact conversation while this was happening in the episode of, like, what were they all called in Wacky Races? What were the cars called? I can't remember. And it's, uh, which is probably, like, I probably have little to add to the next five minutes of, like, what happens in this episode because that's pretty much where my brain was at. It's like, I'm just going to think about Wacky Races for a while. Well, Andy, let me enlighten you as to what happened <laughs> because I, t- I had to take down the notes. Hassan sees that all the cars are heading out and jumps on a bike that he's clearly been working on by stealing parts himself and follows. Hassan then does a really quite incredible wheelie trick to get into the back of one of the laundry vans and in the process discovers the aerial bots, very much just like in parts in a box. Though, the thing that's now confusing, Andy, they've been stripped for parts yet they can transform pretty much just okay yeah i mean again this this all kind of feels very not particularly joined up and like half formed ideas because yeah there's not even really much of a, a necessity to have them being able to do that i mean it's like you know we had that like you know making tracks episode where tracks couldn't transform at all and that worked perfectly well as a vehicle um, so this almost felt like one of those things where maybe the original idea was that they couldn't transform and they were just like their, you know, voice boxes or whatever you want to call it. And somebody from Hasbro said, wait, we've just introduced these characters. You have to show them in their robot modes as much as possible. And this was like their compromise because otherwise, yeah, it doesn't really make any sense or it always takes away from like the peril that they're in when it's like, well, you can kind of still half transform. So it's not really such a big deal after all. Yeah, at this point, I think my brain just went, what? Like, what? what, what is on? So after formal introductions are made b- between the three of them, the two Autobots and Hassan, we come to learn that the leader of the Nappers is named Ali. Yep, real imaginative. If, right, exactly. And the way that Hassan describes him is something that I will not repeat on this podcast at all, because I'm pretty sure, Andy, that could not be said on TV now. We cut to an airbase where Megatron receives a transmission from Ali, who we learn deposed Prince Jamal, whoever the heck that is at this point, and that his plan involves creating a drone air force. Megatron wants the Middle East. Basically, Megatron, though, wants the Middle East. That is pretty much what I wrote down here. I don't know if that's correct, Andy, at this point, but that's what I wrote down because it seems far funnier. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it was basically just like, you know, the Middle East has a lot of oil reserves, therefore energy, therefore Decepticons. And it's like, yeah, sure. I mean, at least that part adds up. I can't really knock that. <laughs> it's nothing else. <laughs> if anything, for once, Andy, that actually makes sense. Yeah. You know. So at Border Control, yes, everyone, because we haven't got there yet, the Border Force are aware that aircraft have been smuggled out of their country and say they're going to make more stringent checks. So stringent, they barely check anything and tell them all to go through. 
we cut back to the airbase and we get our first glimpse of what turns out to be what I'm gonna say, Andy, is one of probably one of the most ridiculous creations in Transformers history. So there is a giant purple griffin-like robot just sitting on the runway, which if I had to describe it, Andy, or try and make some kind of analogy, I've basically written down, imagine what the white base looks like in the original Mobile Suit Gundam. Kind of like being like a bit like a horse or a pegasus. It's kind of like that, but a griffin and purple. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, this, this is where I'm, I'm trying to sell you all on my idea that the character designer had gone on holiday for these episodes. <laughs> because again, this feels like it was an, a design that was lifted from some other show. Because it doesn't necessarily fit kind of in terms of like aesthetically it doesn't fit in with the rest of the tone of this show like even with the weird wacky racist cars um and it just it feels like this was created for something else and it's like oh we found this like weird character design sheet that the guy left behind when he was running out the door with his suitcase like <laughs> ah that'll do we'll use that in this episode there you go, everybody. Animate from this. Because, it, yeah, it doesn't really fit in. And it also, I mean, I was thinking back also to that weird, like, bug heat ray thing we had a few weeks ago that also felt like it didn't really fit with the aesthetic of that episode. And it's just like, yeah, maybe they did just run out of character design budget and just started lifting things from elsewhere. Because that's definitely what this one feels like. It's almost like, Andy, we're getting towards the end of a season that has 49 episodes in it. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, that just further fuels my paranoia because we know how these productions go, you know, with animation that, you know, you're running behind time, you're running behind budget, everything is kind of on fire and it's just like, we just need to get these episodes out the door quick um, and just do whatever you need to do. And I, I swear that that is what leads to some of the some of the things that we witness in, in some of these episodes. So, we'll come back to the Griffin in a few moments. But away from that, so cars are being stripped for parts, the aerial bots manage to full blast off into thinking that they're worthless pieces of junk by short-circuiting themselves. I'm just going to leave that line out there, everybody, because, yep, that, that's what happened. We then see the two aerial bots somehow transform just fine at this point. Sans missing a chest plate or two, with one of them ending up just taking like the front grill from a Rolls Royce. Which I'm just like, why is there a Rolls Royce here? <laughs> oh man. Now, seeing how Hassan at this point is clearly very intelligent compared to most other humans in this episode, let alone in the show in general, Skydive gets the fancy idea of asking him if he could source a weapons console for, for Slingshot if he showed him what his looks like. I want to give a round of applause to Skydive, Andy. Yeah. Pro because probably, that was a good idea. Probably the most logical thing that's happened in this episode so far. So, uh, yeah. Like, which is slim pickings, but still, yeah. <laughs> credit where it's due. We then see humans loading stuff into the purple griffin, which at this point we hear referred to for the first time by Megatron, Andy... As the fortress. <laughs> Again, e even the naming is just like, oh, I don't care anymore. Just call it the fortress. I don't know. Like, you know, can't we call it the 
Griffin, the Gryffindor. No, no, that <laughs> we can't invent Harry Potter as well. Um, and it's uh, yeah, like the fortress is like, oh, okay. I mean, if, you could argue in some ways it looks like a Sphinx. Call it the Griffinx. There you go. Yeah, there we go. That's I'm I'm, I'm here for that. Is it, it will henceforth officially be known as the the Griffinx. I better I better change my notes. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> So at this point as well, Hassan is now sneaking into the Griffinx, uh, but is in communication. <laughs> well, I'm going to try, Andy. Believe me, but it's but it's still in communication with the aerial bots via a radio. Speaking of the aerial bots, Skydive has now received word from Silverbolt that other aerial bots are on their way. Change that; they've arrived because that's literally how quick it takes them to get them to get there. We get a dogfight, but the key detail is, as well as having the Seeker Jets and Vortex of the Combaticons in the sky, plus more Combaticons throwing additional anti-air fire from the ground, Seeker Jets are taking control of some of the drone jets that I mentioned a few minutes ago. Yes, because they're actually a plot device, everyone. Even I forgot after a couple of minutes. Skydive goes to help them to try and help even out the numbers, because only a couple of aerial bots up there. Slingshot can't, because he's got no weapons. But Hassan, inside the Griffinx, has found a console to reactivate his weapons to be able to rectify that. Despite getting the upper hand, though, the Griffinx is now ready for some action. Rumble and Frenzy Andy, who we've not seen in a hot minute, are at the controls and start firing at the aerial bots. Were you happy to see Frenzy? Yeah, they're having a fun time. They get to press all the buttons in the Griffins, and it's like, yeah, that's that that's quite nice. You know, give give them something good and useful to do because it feels like they spend so much of their time being like a prison guard or doing other like boring jobs. It's usually Sandwave that gets to press the buttons. To be honest, he's, <laughs> u- he's usually like official you know, Decepticon communication commander and official button presser. So you know, maybe again, maybe he was on holiday as well, and he's like, oh, let me, let the tapes do it. It's like, well, Laserbeak doesn't have opposable thumbs. Fine, let Frenzy and Rumble do it instead then. <laughs> Now, Slingshot at this point isn't totally useless, because he runs into Onslaught, causing him to fire one of his Decepticon comrades in the sky. Unfortunately, the Combaticons are now getting ready to transform into Bruticus, but we then become aware, Andy, that not all the aerial bots are there, so they can't transform into Superion at this point. Slingshot tries to prevent the transformation, but can only do so much before they are able to become Bruticus. At this point, the Griffinx fortress takes to the sky. Hassan is now unable to get out because the door literally closed in front of him. With Bruticus now active, Slingshot has now somehow ended up on top of the Griffinx, tangled Andy, apparently in robotic hair that the Griffinx has on it. If people could see the video version, if you're only listening to the audio version, I'm just holding up my hands going, what the heck? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I have nothing to say about yeah. that. I really don't. It's like, what? I, I can't I can't even begin to explain it. That's the kind of thing that would happen if you were making like some kind of weird like parody Transformers episode <laughs> where like the Transformers all have hair. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a strange, it's a strange choice. But, you know, I guess they just had to find a thing to do to, like, literally tie Bruticus up for a minute. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> sure, make make the Griffinx have hair. 
Hassan is now somehow able to get on top of the Grifinx. I, I don't know. I don't care at this point, I'm going to be honest. And is now able to install the weapons console into Slingshot. Now, having weapons, he breaks free of the robotic hair and assists his comrades. And does the old snow speeder downing an Atat in Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back trick to bring down Bruticus. And now the final aerial, aerial bot arrives, allowing them to transform into Superion. Which, amusingly, Andy, my notes have auto-corrected it to say superiority. <laughs> I feel the need to say. Also, also fair. We get a brief scuffle between the two combiners before the Griffinx tries to attack Superion, but is literally kicked out of the sky by Superion into an oil refinery nearby. The Griffinx is downed, Megatron and co. exit, but not before slipping on some oil like it was a banana peel. <laughs> Bruticus then tries to attack Superion again, but they separate as Bruticus is about to run into them, causing Bruticus to now basically run into part of the refinery, causing it to explode, and just sending them all away like their Team Rocket in a classic episode of Pokemon. <laughs> With the aerial bots now having saved the day and such, it turns out that Hassan is Prince Jamal. <gasps> Shock! And he explains that he suspected that Ali was doing something underhanded, which is why he went to the bazaar in the first place. Everyone is then happy as the episode ends, but not before a cheesy line about Slingshot always being a Rolls Royce to Jamal and using one of his car parts on him. Warms the heart. <sighs> Let's never speak of this episode again, Andy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I will say once again, the action scenes are all pretty good in this one. Like, that initial dogfight is really good, and actually a lot of the, the later stuff, when the Combaticons get involved and all of that, is, is all pretty well animated. It feels like that's where the care and attention went. But otherwise, yeah, this very much felt like a... It kind of felt like a bit of a box-ticking episode of like, okay, we've got to have the aerial bots, we've got to have some Combaticons, they've got to turn into Bruticus at some point, we need to get some Superion in there... Someone's just left this weird picture of a griffin on my desk. I don't know why, but we probably have to put that in the episode as well. Um, and yeah, it's just like none of it really hangs together. And it's it's not even one of those episodes. We've, we've had a few in season two where it's like, oh, the, the core ideas are really good and it just doesn't execute. It's like, no, even the core ideas aren't particularly that interesting here. And it just, you know, it starts from a bad place and doesn't exactly get better. You ain't wrong about that, believe me. So, let's venture to the TF Wiki to see if there's anything of note or that we want to be aware of. Deleted scenes in this episode include Hassan reconstructing Slingshot and Skydive to disguise them as refrigerators to get them past the border guards. What?! See, that, that would have made that episode markedly better just on its own. Like, I, I, I'm gutted we didn't get to see that. The trucks then... The, the trucks transporting the jet parts break down in the desert and some camels being stolen tow them when Swindle refuses to do so and Swindle discovers the aerial bots being knocked out and having his memory banks wiped so he forgets they were there. I, I mean, it sounds like maybe the idea that, oh, and then, then they all get, and then somebody steals some camels was maybe, like, too stereotypical even for this episode. And someone's like, no, you can't do that. That's just, that's just too much. 
a random note here. For, for the TF Wiki says for some for some reason, quite a few fans misremember this episode as being set in Carb Carbombia, I think it's pronounced, a country that didn't get identified by name until season three. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure that's th- that's where we really hit the peak racism of this Transformers cartoon, right. if I recall. Okay, so. The giant purple griffin, that we have now called the Griffinx, has become one of the most mocked creations in trans-fandom. I didn't know that was a word, Andy, but there you go. <laughs> I, I can't imagine why. <laughs> uh, in addition to looking absurd and doing almost nothing of value, it gets taken out of the fight by one little kick from Superior. <laughs> I'm going to assume that means that we never see it again. I mean, again, this is a test of our time travel theory that a writer <laughs> is coming back and, and coming to the future and, and listening to this podcast. So maybe we've now inadvertently caused a future where the Griffins will reappear at some point. <laughs> right. Let's let's not talk about this episode again, Andy. So let's move on to our final episode. Not only of this particular episode of the podcast, Andy, but the final episode of season two. It's time to talk about Season 2, Episode 49. The finale episode of the season, B-O-T. Bot, for short. We begin with the Combaticons in a city, transforming into Bruticus, starting a rampage, and then before we know it, they get utterly owned by a single shot from Defensor, who I then later learned is the combined form of the Protector Bot. Yeah, uh, once again, we have our, like, weird Transformers power level thing going on, where we've gone, like, over the course of of a few episodes from Bruticus is completely unstoppable, like, he must be killed, to, like, now just shoot him once. That's it. That's all it takes. (laughs) During this, we do hear, though, the first line of dialogue, Andy, from Defensor, going over to some humans and saying, quote-unquote, call sanitation, there's junk all over the street. (laughs) Now, out of all the Combaticons from this utter demolition, quite frankly, Swindle is seemingly the only Combaticon to have survived and mulls to himself about about where he's going to find some parts. Very out of context, but I'm sure we'll learn more in a few moments. We then cut to a boat port, a harbour, whatever the best way to phrase it is, where Swindle drives into a boat and meets with an arms dealer who he eventually refers to as El Presidente. He's there to buy some spare parts for his downed comrades, we assume. We now cut to a Decepticon base, where Megatron's running a simulation of the moon being kicked out of the Earth's orbit, saying, well, I say kicked, knocked out of the Earth's orbit is more accurate, and saying that once this has actually been done, this will allow Soundwave to flood various places to give them limitless power, i.e. hydropower. Starscream, though, is mocking Megatron for how many simulations he has seemingly been running up to this point that we have not seen on camera. In the desert... And what is referred to, Andy, for the first and probably, I'm going to assume, last time ever, as the Combaticon headquarters, because that's a thing, we see Swindle being told that the remaining parts of his comrades are worthless and is told to take them to a junkyard. Skywarp then arrives, but the place is deserted, sands a few random Combaticon parts lying about the place. 
But it seems that those parts are actually a trail leading somewhere. Megatron orders Skywarp to follow. This trail leads to a city junkyard where Swindle is literally dumping the remaining parts of his comrades into the junk heap. Starscream and Skywarp arrive, knowing Swindle is up to something, effectively capture him and take him back to Decepticon HQ. This is when Swindle tries to justify his actions by saying that greed is built into his personality component. Megatron wants Bruticus restored, and as an extra incentive, as Megatron calls it, Soundwave installs a bomb into Swindle's head. The first thing I thought of, Andy, is, wow, Suicide Squad territory here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm honestly weirdly a fan of the whole, like, we've given you, like, a bomb collar or put a bomb in your head or whatever that is. Like, it's always, that's always a good, like, upping the stakes kind of plot device, um, which I, I'm, I'm here for. Um, also... I think I have a bit of a soft spot for this episode just because I really like Swindle as a character. Right? Swindle's um, cool. Like, he's kind of, he's really interesting and sort of, like, self-serving, but in a different way to your sort of typical Decepticons. Like, I I recall, like, he doesn't, like, get any major kind of story arcs, I don't think, in the comics, but they kind of use him in a similar way once or twice where, you know, he's just, like, a wheeler-dealer, um, you know, a sort of, like, you know... Del boy but a robot basically um and uh i i know i i really enjoy that as a thing and and that kind of is is kind of interesting also this episode escalates very quickly from like generic action scene to what if we got rid of the moon <laughs> it's just like <laughs> oh okay like, much, much like the whole like revenge of bruticus episode where we go from like zero to let's fire the earth into the sun it's like this this time around it's just like zero to let's just blow up the moon and it's like all right cool <laughs> also worth noting that swindle is told he has 15 hours to reassemble bruticus or else the bomb will go off we then follow swindle's various escapades going from various locations like hangars and military bases stealing back various parts that have now been installed into other machines Despite him having rebuilt his comrades, and after a failed Bruticus transformation attempt, it should be said in front of Megatron, Swindle says he wasn't able to find Brawl's personality component, but he didn't think it would matter, which is why he came back and just finished it off. Suffice to say, Megatron tells him, the bomb is still ticking, so go find it. Andy, we then go to school. Literally. Because we see a professor showing off a laser that is vastly more powerful than what he thought it was going to be in a science class that he's holding. Two students who are named Martin and Roland, who, for reference, I'm now going to simply refer to as the trolls, forevermore in this episode, <laughs> seemingly are the culprits. Based on dialogue, they are way too smart for their own good, as mentioned, are both utter trolls, and... They are told if they want to pass the class, they need to earn a blue ribbon at a science fair coming up and have to do it with another classmate named Elise Presser as part of their team. They want nothing to do with her and also say that to her face because, you know, they're trolls. And then suddenly, Andy, a skyscraper is engulfed in flames with two people hanging off the side of the building. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, there's just like... There, there is... 
I, I think I'm still suffering from like the tonal whiplash of this episode because like I say we, we've already gone from like nothing to blowing up the moon and now suddenly we're at high school but suddenly there's a burning building and it's like <laughs> I don't I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about any of this we're going from kind of like the most mundane things to just like massive like dire circumstances that need to be resolved immediately <laughs> over and over again and it's like I don't the, the, there's a lot to take in here. I'm not sure I'm ready for any of it. <laughs> the protector bots then arrive and get to show off their various abilities to help rescue the humans in peril. The two trolls are very impressed by them, so much so they now want to build their own robot. We cut to the junkyard that we saw earlier, where they've taken various parts from there, and then we go back to school late at night and see the three of them that being the two trolls and Elise, analysing what they have taken. One of the trolls decides that they should call their robot B.O.T., the Biotronic Operational Telecommunicator. I, I mean, I'll, I'll give them credit, because this this feels like a really interesting kind of, like, top and tail of, like... Remember the start of this season where we had Autobot X? Mm. Like, I'm going to give them credit that B.O.T. is a better name than Autobot X. <laughs> but I like how we've had both... The, the the start and end of this season has been, like, the creation of a new robot. So That's a fair point, nice, actually. I hadn't thought of it like that. Yeah, Some nice continuity there that I'm sure is not in any way deliberate. <laughs> <laughs> now, the finished product of B.O.T., or Bot, as I will refer to it, it's certainly a unique design, Andy. It's taller than an average human looks overweight and has a grey and green colour scheme. That is the best way I could sum this up unless you've got anything else that you could add to that. No, no. I mean, to be honest, for, for some bizarre reason, the, the only thing I could think of when I saw this was like the, the Mitchell and Webb sketch where the guy makes a robot that can only detect cheese and petrol. <laughs> and I don't know why that was what sprang to mind when I saw this, but I was sort of hoping it would descend into that sketch, which it did not. So I was a little disappointed. <laughs> Now, initial attempts to get bot are not working, but Elise installs a box that was generating some weird readings, and now the robot is active, but starts trashing the place. Elise seems to be able to reason with bot briefly, before Martin, one of the trolls, uses the laser from the classroom earlier in the day to basically antagonise bot, and then it just goes on another rampage and escapes the room. They then get the idea of calling the protector bots to help them, because they certainly can't do it. And somehow, Andy, they hack into Teletran and get a signal to them. Autobot HQ. <laughs> Just yeah, it turns out that Optimus Prime left the password for Teletran as password the entire time. It's like, oops. Maybe it's, maybe it's not even that simple, Andy. Maybe it's just the password is Teletran. Yeah, yeah, could could be. No, no it's Teletran One. Thank you. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Teletran exclamation mark because they made the shift one. <laughs> so they somehow pushed the distress signal to Teletran. Ironhide, Bumblebee, and Gears are tasked with checking things out. If <laughs> white white Gears, okay, I mean, that was just. That was my. That was perhaps the most pressing question of me because I, I feel like we've not actually. Have we seen him at all since like his own episode? Since what since changing, changing gears? gears? <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, we maybe have briefly, but I feel like he's not really been around. And suddenly it's like, oh yeah, gears. He was in this show. <laughs> in 
a weird way, the part that surprises me more is they picked three OG Transformers rather than maybe some more of the newer ones. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that is kind of uh, that is kind of interesting. I mean, Bumblebee is like an evergreen, but Ironhide's always an interesting one to, to pick. But yeah, Giz completely blew my mind. Of just like because I I saw like I mean on the Hasbro Post YouTube channel, I think like he's the thumbnail is Gears, and I'm like, why? I don't. I, don't know. <laughs> I mean, fine. Like I I don't dislike Gears. I I quite like his design, but why Gears? So you have so many you have so many Transformers to pick, and you chose Gears. Back at the junkyard, can you tell this is a recurring element of the episode, folks? Swindle discovers from one of the workers there that some kids may have taken the part he is looking for, which it turns out, Andy, is confirmed as the personality component. The Autobots then arrive at the school. Martin and Roland are unhappy it's not the protector bots. Burn. Talk about that. And are led to the location of Bot. The Autobots try to take him down, but Bot isn't fooling around, dodging various attacks, and Bot ultimately ends up escaping into another building across the street. The Autobots, and at this point Swindle as well, are in pursuit. Bot apparently takes a a lift up 30 floors, and of course the trolls end up dragging Elise into the building as well to go and see what happens. Even though she doesn't want to, they're still utter trolls and make her go inside. On the stairwell of this building, (laughs) can you tell them we're losing it, folks, when we say on the stairwell? That's where we've got to now. The Autobots are being attacked. They're assuming it's Bot, but it turns out to be Swindle. But this attack sequence causes the lift that the three humans are now elevating, escalating in. I can't think of the right word, Andy. They're going up in to stop. And it's now threatening them because Bot is trying to break the cables that operate the lift. But fortunately for them, Bot is then rapidly hit by a laser out of nowhere and they're fine. We then see Swindle making a quick exit with the following dialogue exchange taking place between the Autobots and the humans, Andy. Which I think kind of sums up this episode to a degree. Elise says, what was that? And one of the trolls says, we've never seen that one before, have we? Bumblebee then says, that was Swindle, a Combaticon, they're Decepticons. And the same troll that spoke a moment ago just goes, this sure is getting complicated. (laughs) And the other troll says, we should have just taken the F in science rather than handled this. (laughs) If you you think this is complicated, son, you should have watched the Revenge of Bruticus episode. (laughs) Back at Decepticon HQ, Swindle has vindicated himself, but Megatron makes it clear that if he ever does anything like this again... He will, quote-unquote, melt him down for scrap Tetonium. Bruticus is officially restored. Back at school, (laughs) Elise discovers that Bot was actually missing the box that she had installed earlier. So they surmise it must have been a Combaticon part that was taken. Now, remember how Elise earlier was saying it was generating some weird readings? The trolls get the idea of being able to trace the location of where that part is now by scanning the same kind of readings that were being emitted, thus knowing where the part has gone to. Now, now, now Jeremy, as a scientist, can you explain to me how that works? No. Because <laughs> <Good. laughs> when, when that point came up, it's like... 
it's it's so it feels like had they written it as like oh you know it was like trans missing some waves or something maybe we can trace it back but the way this whole thing is played out it's like none of this makes any sense like even even via the tenuous science of the transformers this feels like this doesn't make any sense <laughs> now <laughs> elise says that they shouldn't do this but the boys force her to basically they end up get also apparently Elise can drive Andy sure whatever and they end up tracing the signal to a cliff edge by the ocean you know where Decepticon HQ is so it turns out Andy they freaking made it work basically fair play to them as ridiculous as it is Martin and Roland the trolls think the machine is broken but Elise now gets the idea of using bots speech synthesizer to try and track the signal further by receiving a signal rather than tracking one and decoding what's being said. Let that sink in, people. Because trying to write that down was really hard. Yeah, there's this. they were really working hard to try and find a way of, like, how do we bring these characters together from the scenario we've written? And fair play for, you know, points for effort. But but no 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 blue ribbon at the science fair for any any of the writers of this episode. <laughs> now what they end up hearing is a conversation involving Megatron, where Megatron says, quote unquote, "There's one Earth rotation left before they blast the Moon out of orbit. But first, I want to test fire the orbit disruptor." Oh, uh, somebody clearly had a word with Megatron after the whole fortress incident. <laughs> like, come on, you need to up your game again. You've been pretty good at the naming things, and then you just went and called the Griffin thing a fortress. Like, I realise it sucked, but you could have given it a better name. And so he's like, fine, I'll call this one the Orbital Disruptor then. Well, if you go back to a previous episode when he couldn't decide between lightning bug or heat ray, it's like, Megatron, one name. Yeah, that's all yeah. we need <laughs> yeah that's the other rule yeah only one name allowed for any of your contraptions at this point as the three of them are listening in they also learn that megatron is planning to do the final test on autobot hq we then cut to autobot hq where the three humans are now explaining what has happened to optimus prime how'd they get that i do you know what i'm not even going to ask <laughs> ironhide then puts out a transmission that we learn is a signal only being broadcast that the protector bots can receive i hope that made sense i'll say it again it's a signal that only the protector bots can receive so andy it can't be hacked i call bs on that yeah i mean maybe maybe that's the same signal that hasbro sent with all the details of who the protector bots are to, uh, <laughs> to sunbow <laughs> We then cut to Protectorbot HQ. How many HQs are we going to have in this show now? In the city, and they see that the Autobots need them and head out. Back at Autobot HQ, Megatron, Starscream, and Bruticus are outside with the Orbit Disruptor. But before much, but before pretty much anything can happen, the Autobots were seemingly hiding in plain sight and start just firing at the Decepticons. And Bruticus, Brutic, Bruticus, that's bad phrase bruticus is clearly still not himself andy because he eats a laser shot and then separates and the action continues can they make bruticus look any worse in this episode 
Yeah, well, because he just, it's not even just that he, like, takes the hit. He's just kind of really confused and scared about the whole thing. Like, it feels like he just wants to, you know, he just wants to find the Forest of Solitude and hang out with Omega Supreme or something, because <laughs> he's just, he's really not there for it. And again, compare and contrast to the Bruticus of a few episodes ago, because, like, he's unstoppable. What are we going to do? And now it's like, ah, just fire at him. It'll, it'll be fine. He'll just run away or just fail miserably. The Protector Bots then arrive and help even up the score somewhat as they utterly muller the Decepticons. Now, the three humans, Martin, Roland, and Elise, I think their names are. I've almost forgotten this point because I've just called them, called them the trolls so many times. Elise has an idea because they want to help. Defensor has now appeared because the Protector Bots have combined and evens up the score even more before ultimately being hit by Bruticus after a giant force field that he had made to protect all of his Autobot cam comrades dissipates. Bruticus is then able to shoot Defensor with the Orbit Disruptor, Andy, I've written down, because I'm pretty sure he fired it from a turret, when the cannon then suddenly turns, doesn't respond to Bruticus, and just fires Starscream into space, pretty much. <laughs> just sends him flying. It then, it then turns out it's working by itself. Well, actually what it is, everyone, is that the humans are controlling bot from Teletran and making it trying to, like... And making the device gradually just overheat and implode. It, it, it explodes in an almighty way, sending all of the Decepticons flying. And obviously bot has been destroyed as well. Yay. Inside HQ, the Autobots are grateful for the three humans' help, and are sorry about their robot too. One of the trolls then says Andy, quote-unquote, Well, let's just say he bought the big one. Unacceptable. What, 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 what an ending to this episode. <laughs> but Andy, there's more. There is, sadly. Elise then says they could always just build another one and ask the Autobots if they have any spare parts. This then prompts the two trolls to, to just randomly find a roll of gaffer tape, gag Elise, and then say, that just about wraps this up, and run away with her. What?! Roll credits, roll end of season. That's how Transformers <laughs> Season 2 ends, everybody. What <laughs> the heck just happened? Yeah, I mean, it's it's trying to be the, like, cheesy, haha ending that doesn't really work. Um, and just at the end of all the convoluted stuff that has happened up to this point, it just felt like, sure, if that's how this has to end, then... At least, at least it ended. At least was the MVP of the episode, mate. Yeah, well, and this that's just it. Like that's the sort of the cliche that this episode plays with. Of like, you know, she's the nerdy girl that nobody wants to deal with because oh, she's a girl that does science, but actually she's the smart one in the room, and everyone else is a jerk. Um, and it it doesn't really do a particularly good job of doing anything with that, which is pretty much. The, the true of everything that happens in this episode like because th this i feel like is definitely on the end of like yeah there's some there's some decent ideas here like i say i like the swindle thing hmm. i i kind of 
Honestly, just have a whole episode of Swindle with a bomb in his head. Although, also, why 15 hours? That's a very specific time frame. Um, but anyway. Also, uh, also, you, and the Earth time hours. Yeah, well, <laughs> Ken is like, make sure, like, what, one Earth rotation. Oh, you mean a day? <laughs> um, so, yeah, it always, always makes me laugh the way they just interchange these things for whatever sounds the most impressive. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, the, the whole Swindle thing was kind of interesting, like, him getting him as a bit of a character story, um, the whole bomb in his head and ticking time bomb thing kind of interesting and then it just adds in a bunch of extra layers that don't really do anything much to add to it and the whole bot idea is it is not bad but it isn't particularly executed in an interesting or particularly coherent way and yeah a bit of this this the end of the season has very much fizzled out here it's just like oh okay all right, yeah, fine. it's like, you know, honestly, Elise as a character, I would be totally fine with her returning. But there is also a part of me that's like, why weren't Spike and Carly involved in this? Yeah, well, I mean, get Elise and Carly to team up on something. Like, that would probably actually be a pretty good episode. And then, you know, they could just get rid of Spike because he's stupid. Or just have Spike um, being the bumbling fool. There you go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, it's 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 a weird one because I I feel like that whole dynamic of those kind of high school student things like you kind of compare that to like you know having people like Chip Chase and stuff remember him um you know <laughs> that that was that that was all pretty pretty good stuff where you were kind of straight away you're like oh man I hope this is a recurring character like likewise with Carly whereas these guys like even Elise although she's kind of useful in this episode they're all just made to be kind of annoying in a way where you're like oh man I hope these guys don't come back and even compared like Raul as well like as a character who like oh man I hope we get more of this guy like he's really on the ball and kind of interesting whereas these guys are like oh thank god this is the end of the season it probably means we'll never see them again so Andy for the final time for season two let's go to the Transformers wiki and see what notes they could possibly bring us to somehow justify other elements of this episode this episode establishes that the Combaticons have their own separate base, as do the Protector Bots. As this was the last episode before the jump to 2005, which, if I remember correctly, Andy, is when the movie is set. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, 2005. This is never touched on again. <laughs> so the base, yeah. the base made a one-time appearance. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, a lot can happen in 20 years. I guess like real estate prices changed a lot, and they probably just you know sold up, made it made a tidy profit. <laughs> Skywarp lives up to his little-used note in his bio, which states that he would be, quote-unquote, useless without Megatron's supervision. (laughs) It's implied during the episode that that Soundwave has a new device. That's never seen. (laughs) Literally. So, the name of the high school, Andy, which is actually said during the episode, but I didn't repeat it here, is Benjamin Franklin Pierce High School. This is a reference to Benjamin Franklin Hawkeye Pierce, a character from MASH. Oh, okay. You were not expecting a MASH reference in this episode, were you? No, I mean, I guess it, it, it sort of makes sense, but yeah, that's also quite random. So the Transformers wiki mentions that Roland and Martin are like the most loathsome Transformers characters ever. I think that's a fair comment, Andy, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think there'll be much argument over that. 
This episode was lampooned at the BotCon 2006 MSTF presentation, and as far as the writers are concerned, is the single dumbest episode in the entirety of Transformers animation. I mean, there, there are some other contenders. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we'll say from season two. I, I, would, I would not have this pegged as like the worst or dumbest episode that we've had in this season. It's pretty high up there, but I think there's probably at least two or three that could, uh, could pip it to the post quite handily. So MSTF, by the way, is, is a Mystery Science Theatre 3000 style panel. Yeah, yeah. So, having not grown up on that, I didn't know. That's why I quickly looked. Uh, this episode is also possibly the worst advertisement for the combiner teams possible. <laughs> Bruticus is destroyed with a single shot from Defensor, and later stumbles around like a concussed baby as the Autobots shoot at him. <laughs> Defensor's force field is rendered utterly pointless as the Decepticons just wait for it to run out after no more than 20 seconds. And then he too is blasted to bits with ease. That being said, the early part of the episode is a great advertisement for Swindle individually and features some excellent character moments for him, including his rather humorous line about Brawl's missing personality component. Every cloud has a silver lining, eh? Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's probably actually why I feel like this isn't, like, the worst episode, simply because of that Swindle stuff. It, it does it does work really well, and it's kind of, you know, it's almost a shame that... the. There wasn't the, the time and the space to have some like individual character episodes for some of the combiners like individual parts because like I feel like the Stunticons have some pretty interesting characters in there as well that they could have done more with. This is one of the most device laden episodes, featuring no less than the Orbit Disruptor, Soundwave's new device, the school's overpowered laser, the Brain Bomb. Braun's personality doohickey, the eponymous human-built robot, the kid's locator device, and the speech synthesizer. <laughs> when you yeah, put it like that, that is pretty mental. Yeah, which I think uh, it kind of goes to show why this episode ends up being so convoluted and kind of hard to follow, because there's just so many gadgets that everyone's having to explain all the time, and it's like, that's not particularly interesting. Couple more notes for you on this episode. Production-wise, it seems a bit odd to have three Season 1 Autobots respond to the kids' SOS, but I think I mentioned that actually during our recap, rather than showcasing brand uh, the brand new Combiner team, who would otherwise seem to be the spotlight by, by my toys character of the episode. This is even flagged up in the episode itself when the kids try to call the Protector Bots for help. This causes presumably the same last-minute shoehorning that got the Protector Bots into the Revenge of Bruticus. Here's a, here's a note, Andy. The, the original script's cast list for the episode notes that the junkyard operator is a spy. And that the only thing that we learn about him is that he gets taken away by federal authorities. Oh, and he has no lines. The bizarre plot twist obviously didn't make it into the final draft, but really, what's one more wad of nonsense at this point, says the TF Wiki. <laughs> yeah, well, and also, I mean, it feels like the, the opening gambit of this episode is another kind of, uh, another side order of, like, mild racism of just like, oh, like, tin, tin pot dictator slash arms dealer, and it's like, oh, <laughs> okay. I mean, I literally, my first date for this episode is, oh no, more racism. So yeah. I guess that all tied into that. Uh, funny enough, actually, it was either when I was watching this episode 
or the Aerial Assault episode, I actually text you and said, isn't this episode where someone quits, like, from what you mentioned in the previous podcast? And you went, oh, no. Not this. No, no, yeah, that, that was yeah, that was the aerial assault episode you, you texted me about, and it's like, no, we we gotta wait for season three till we hit that uh, <laughs> wonderful peak. So look forward to that in the forthcoming weeks, folks. God. And then obviously, as we've mentioned, this is the last episode of season two. The TF Wiki says, Can you imagine if this was the last episode of Transformers ever? <laughs> and then they add Good God, I need a stiff drink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me too. And Andy, with that being said, that is the end of season two of the Transformers. It is. It is. 49 episodes. We have reached quite the milestone there, as it were. <laughs> yeah, I know it is. I mean, like I said up top, it's kind of crazy because it doesn't feel like... I've watched, like, 49 episodes of this season, like, plus, what was it, 13, 14 episodes season one? It, it, you know, it doesn't feel like I've watched, like, 60-odd episodes of this of this show. It was 15 or 16 in season one, wasn't it? Because I think Plague yeah, of Insecticons was, was number 16, I think. Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds about right. So, yeah, like, you know, I, the fact that I've, I've watched all of those episodes, and I, I'm genuinely pleased that I have, because as, as I mentioned when we started this season... A lot of season one, probably all of it I'd seen. Season two, I'd seen very little of. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I feel pleased that I have seen all of these stories, good and bad. Um, and uh, all of these moments, some of which, are, as, as we've mentioned, do sort of live in infamy in Transformers fandom. I, I have gotten to experience them for myself as, as if as if I were a six-year-old. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's that's... That's to to be valued, I think. Yeah, and honestly, not to kind of jump into probably what we're going to be doing on our next podcast, which we'll explain in a moment, everyone, but I would like, thinking back on it now as we're recording this, I think there was more good than bad in season two. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Like, I mean, I, I think the biggest ding you can have against the season as a whole is that it doesn't always execute on its ideas. But, like, considering we've had, like, 49 episodes of this season, it's had a lot of good ideas and good concepts um, for episodes, which, you know, is, as I've said a few times, it's been quite refreshing after, like, season one, which has a pretty kind of set-in-stone kind of, like, oh, the Decepticons are going to find an energy source and attack it, and the Autobots have to stop them. Like, you know... They clearly the writers had to break out of that and find well what do we do with all these characters that still involves that as a core conceit but we need to do more with it and I I will give them credit for coming up with quite a lot of interesting ideas um, and again you know getting the a bit more back and forth to like Cybertron and Alien Planets really helps um, again having all the new characters to play with really helps because it has a whole bunch of, of you know cast to play with. Um, but yeah, like there have not been many episodes where we've just been, oh god, that was really terrible. Like there's maybe been half a dozen at most, which you know, out of a hit rate of like what kind of 44, 45 stories if you include the two parters, like that's a pretty good hit rate of having things that are at least like, yeah, that was all right. Completely agree. And in terms of where we go to next, everyone. On our next episode, we've actually decided we're going to be bringing you our second bonus episode. Because you'll recall, if you've 
listened to the, the, the extract in audio form or have watched the full version on our YouTube channel, we, we recorded a fun little bonus going through some DVD extras from the Transformers UK Season 2 Part 1 DVD set, where we did a quiz about the first half of Season 2 and other random topics we weren't expecting as well as going through an unedited mistakes reel and a couple other bits and bobs, we've decided as kind of a little, a nice fun way to wrap up season two, if you will, proper in many ways. We're going to do that again for the season two part two DVD set. But as well, Andy, we figured that we're going to try and create a list of what we feel are our favourite episodes from both season one and season two. I guess a top ten list of some kind. We haven't actually decided on a number as it were, but we felt it was a good time to probably just think back and actually think what are our respective favourite episodes. Yeah, yeah, well, like, we've watched a lot of Transformers, and I think now we've watched far too much Transformers, like, <laughs> this is a good time for us to to reflect, and, and also kind of put together a bit of a, a bit of a list, like, because if you're not a lunatic like us, and just like, I'm going to watch every episode, like, if you just want a, a handful to check out, you know, hopefully we can we can build a bit of a top ten list. I mean, obviously, Triple Takedown will be your number one, Jeremy. Yeah. Like we've already established this, <laughs> um, but you know, who knows what else will will, will come up? I, I actually, again, talking as to the, like the general quality of the show, I think it's going to be way more difficult for me to pick a top ten than I thought it was going to mm. be. And certainly, like in terms of, of like ranking that stuff like you know I, th there are more than 10 episodes that i could probably put on a list and be like yeah you should watch these these are quite good if you're if you're into transformers so i'm, I'm kind of I, i'm all ready to go with like a pen and a paper to start like, scrab scribbling these down and i suspect i'll be doing a lot of crossing out yeah and we probably need to figure out a few particulars like how we're gonna handle multi-episode stories as it were like especially like in the case of today you know revenge of bruticus is technically a part two so we need to sort of, we can figure it out offline as it were, but, but then after that, everyone, so our next podcast will be a bonus episode, which again, full video version will be on our YouTube channel, but there will be an audio extract as it were, if not probably a lot more audio than before of that as well. So you'll be able to download that as normal on your podcast feed. But then after that, Andy... We're then moving into Transformers the Movie Territory, because coming soon, everyone, effectively in a couple of weeks' time by the time you're hearing this, we will be delving into the Transformers 1986 animated movie. In terms of a format, it's probably going to be different to what we've normally done. We're probably not going to be doing a blow-by-blow -blow discussion of what happens, but suffice to say, Andy, from like the few conversations we've had sort of thinking how we're going to do this... We want to sort of definitely go into what the movie kind of represents in Transformers lore. Maybe dig up some information relating to before the film came out, the, the critical reaction to it. Obviously discussing the story as well, because that will very much be part of it. But yeah, we'll probably be deep diving into a lot more around the film, I think it's fair to say. Maybe more so than what happens in the film itself. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, honestly, I think if there's one bit of the Transformers that probably anybody who's a fan, and I suspect most people listening to this podcast will have done quite a lot, it's watch Transformers the movie, so you don't need to remind you what happens in this one. Uh, and of course, in, in almost the movie, one of us will die horribly like two minutes in. <laughs> Um, no, that, that way. It's been nice that talking to everyone. See ya. <laughs> yeah, who who will it be? Maybe it'll be both of us. Maybe we'll be replaced by new, improved podcast hosts um, who are like shinier and more 
space futury. Um, <laughs> hey, but, uh, hey no, I, I call that an upgrade. I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, I'm 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 excited. I've I've not watched Transformers a movie in months, so I'm, <laughs> I've I, literally I'm, not watched it in years, man. So yeah, I think it'll be really interesting because yeah, we'll have a couple of different perspectives there because um, I have watched that film way too many times, um, and so yeah, it's it's always I, I I always love watching that film. Honestly, I could. I have to stop myself from watching it too often because I'm always scared I'm going to get bored of it. But I, I love watching that film, and uh, you know, I, I've, I've got, I've, I've got my nice shiny new 4K OLED TV to watch <laughs> it on. I'm going to watch the 4K HDR version. And I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pour myself some drinks and get some snacks and proper proper Transformers watch party. And then I've got the vinyl record of the soundtrack that I could listen to afterwards. Oh, so amazing! Exciting. Exciting times. I think I'm going to be going whole hog on this in the sense I'm going to... Because I've got the 4K version, like you mentioned, but I'm, I am I want to watch both versions, like widescreen and 4.3. Because I know there isn't much difference between them, but I'm just anecdotally curious, almost just for like a viewing experience, which one feels better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you should really, if you really want to go whole hog, you should watch the four x three version on a four x three TV. And just like <laughs> watch it, watch it on some old school TV set. Um, but yeah, I mean, I still uh, maybe we'll we'll surface something when we're kind of prepping for this because I the last I remember, like there's still like an argument in fandom as to which one is the proper version of the film. Mm. Like, was it originally created in four x three and cropped to be? widescreen or was it actually a widescreen theatrical presentation that then got cropped to full three for tv uh, i feel like i've never quite gotten to the bottom of who is right and who is wrong in that but maybe maybe we can answer that question and more indeed and i'm also going to be diving into a lot of the extras that are on the many versions of the dvd and blu-rays that i've got of this film i, I want like i say i'm going whole hog on this andy because i've not watched it in so long yeah, there there are some really good um, some really good interviews on the the more recent releases. Uh, there's also a, a, like a, a director's commentary with Nelson Chin, which is less good because he mostly just explains what's happening on the screen, which you can see. Um, but but there's still there's still some fun stuff out of, out of that as well. The, the commentary track is actually pretty pretty decent mm. also. So there we go, everyone. That is what is that. That's what's on the docket. So as mentioned, next week will be a bonus episode, and the week after that, we will be talking Transformers the movie. If you want to get in touch with us on Twitter and or Instagram, you can find us under the username at Starscreams Pod. If you'd like to drop us an email, you can do so on Starscreams Ghost Pod at gmail.com. And of course, if you want to go back and listen and or watch any of the previous episodes of podcasts that we've done, all of them are available on the likes of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and of course, video versions on our YouTube channel by searching for Starscream's Ghost Podcast as well. Andy, before we close out for today, any final thoughts? No, no, I don't think I have anything else to add. Uh, just, uh, I will once again ask, why Gears? Why <laughs> is it Gears? I still, I still can't quite get over that. Which is it's probably, again, probably the last time we see that guy alive. I suspect as well. So, you know, uh, glad, glad he got his last hurrah. Oh, do you know what? I've just thought, like, when we talk about the movie, we're probably going to have to do a proper, like, death death toll count, aren't we, basically? <laughs> we're going to have to name-check everyone, aren't we? I've just realised that. Uh, yeah, so pl please don't make me play the Transformers movie drinking game where you take a shot every time a character dies. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not mentally or physically ready for that. <laughs> I, I was, I, I'm just going to ask, have you ever done that, actually? 
No, I don't think anybody could survive. I mean, you know, I, I, I when I said somebody's going to die on the, the movie podcast, I, I meant it as a joke. I didn't mean it as a serious, like, threat of intent. <laughs> Please don't make me play the drinking game, Jeremy. Please. If you would like to see Andy do the drinking game, everybody, let us know on Instagram or Twitter. <laughs> Nothing else from me, everyone, but, but thank you. Just thank you for being on the journey with us. If you've enjoyed it, be you here recently or throughout the whole thing, it has been great fun. And of course, Andy... After the movie, we're not intending on stopping because we're still planning to go through season three as well. Absolutely. It would really suck if we didn't cover the Starscream's Ghost episode on a podcast <laughs> called Starscream's Ghost. Like, I mean, I think trading standards would be on to us. So, yeah, I mean, likewise, I've, you know, talking beyond the movie, I've not seen a whole lot of season three. Mm. Like, again, beyond the big kind of tentpole stories from that, there's a lot of that that I've not watched as well. So I'm, I'm very curious and again season three like different animation studio like it's all change on the on the the transformers wagon for season three so i'm really interested to see how we how we come down on a lot of that as well you've been listening to starscream's ghost a transformers podcast on that note from myself jeremy graves from him mr andy hanley thank you very much for listening and we'll speak to you next week with our bonus episode and then the week after it's transformers the movie see you everyone bye